Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcast about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two reputable Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and analytics director at Internews Ukraine. We are making this podcast with Tatyana Oharkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Volodymyr. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine world. Your support is very valuable at these uh, horrible times which we are living through now. So, Tanya, let's talk about uh, the situation on the ground, the situ- situation in Ukraine right now. 16 days of war. What can we say about it? Yeah, uh, today was an important change in what's going on in Ukraine because this morning we received information about strikes not only in the in the battlefield near Kiev or in the eastern parts of our country, but also in the extreme west. Um, the airport at Ivano-Frankivsk was bombed uh, early in the morning, and the same thing uh, is about the uh, northwest direction, about Lutsk, and um, they also uh, also also managed to to get um to um, Dnipro Dnipro airport was bombarded so uh, it means that uh uh, they can reach uh, literally any any part of uh, Ukrainian territory mm, i think uh, that these uh, missile strikes were their aim was to maybe to destroy possible uh, possible airports for Ukrainian air defense for for jets. Uh, we don't know exactly, but um, at that very moment, uh, we don't feel safe in any part. I think uh, of Ukraine, so because it can be anywhere on the western part, on the eastern part. At the same time, what is uh, extremely um, extremely important now is information about that we received just maybe two hours ago about Chernobyl. And about uh, preparation of the Ukraine of the Russian army to organize some terroristic attacks there, and then uh, in order to accuse later Ukrainian army that uh, they are they creating this ecological disaster. This is really important and preoccupying because uh, nuclear threat it doesn't know any kind of borders, so it will be a problem for the whole region. Mm, still, we, we have this information; it's official information. And uh, yesterday as well. Uh, President Zelensky was mentioning all this uh, news about chemical chemical weapons that Russia might use against Ukraine because Russian propaganda is talking too much all these recent days about chemical uh, threat from Ukraine. And normally, uh, we do know that normally it means that they are thinking about using something like that. And it's obviously linked to the fact that Russian army is losing ground, that they uh, they uh, they don't don't advance as fast as they would like to, and they uh, have a lot of defeats on the ground. But as uh, Putin normally does in such situation, he escalates when he uh, fails on, on the ground. So and this escalation might uh, move in different directions, in direction of chemical arms weapons and in uh, direction of nuclear threats and something else maybe. What do you think? <clears throat> yes, exactly. This can happen, and uh, this is what we see not only in Chernobyl, but also and in Enerhodar, in which we have Zaporizhka nuclear power plant, which is the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe, and Russians are basically having access to it. Uh, of course, the International Atomic 
uh, energy agency reacted with with concern about what's going on, but uh, doesn't seem to have any leverage on 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 Russians to how to to how to avoid how to stop this possible military <coughs> nuclear disaster that they can provoke in already two nuclear power plants. And uh, indeed, uh, Russians are not very successful on the land. Therefore, Ukrainians are so much asking the international community to provide a no-fly zone over Ukraine or to give Ukraine um, air defense weapons or to give Ukraine uh, fighter jets. And this is something that we've heard over the past days, this uh, discussion between Poles and Americans like Poland was ready to give these planes, but give it to American base in Germany, and Americans just ruled it out. So it seems to me that it is quite strange, a little bit of strange. We see in 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 foreign media, some people are saying that, look, if, if NATO or if any NATO member state provides a fighter jets to Ukraine, Russia will see it as a declaration of war, which is bizarre for me because everybody knows that Ukraine is using already very effectively anti-tank anti -tank missiles like Javelins or uh, NLOVE and uh, they are very successful with it mm -hmm. and uh, with these technological weapons these technological weapons is something that really gives Ukraine big advantage because any soldier can just uh, burn a tank and, and this is what we see right now on the ground Mm -hmm. And uh, this reluctance to give airplanes uh, and jets, it's, it's, a, it's a bit, well, bizarre to say the least. And Ukraine is calling the international community to be more brave. Because if Ukrainians are fighting against Russians, why, why it, it cannot get more technological and uh, military aid from, from the mm -hmm. West? At yeah. the same time, of course, <coughs> the West is helping, helping a lot. We see it with sanctions. We see it with crumbling sanctions against Russian economy. We see that ruble uh, ruble is uh, decreasing in its value, contrary to Ukrainian hryvnia, which is also losing something, some weight, but not that dramatically than the Russian ruble. And it's also re remarkable that the economy which is under attack is doing better than the economy of the country which is attacking. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, what my idea, yeah, what we are discussing really a lot in Ukraine, this, uh, this story with uh, fighter jets and with all kind of arms Ukraine do need, that does really need now. Um, there's a kind of disappointment on the Ukrainian side, in fact, because um, we do understand that uh, Western partners are trying to avoid this direct clash with Russian Federation, but the argument we are trying to make the most evident possible now is that, look, Look, these uh, these ideas, these uh, these uh, uh, fears of uh, a great great uh, Russian army, they are really not uh, grounded. So, so they have no f foundation, because um, what we see now and is quite clear that uh, they that the Russian uh, uh, Russian president, Mr. Putin, uh, really for maybe for many months or maybe many years lived in a kind of uh, mental isolation. And we are almost convinced that they, he didn't know the real state of his army at the moment he decided to invade Ukraine. Because what we see on the ground is a kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, failures uh, which, uh, which are 
which were absolutely unexpected and that this army is not as strong as it as we imagined it to be so because of corruption because of uh, the fear of his uh, military high military uh, head, head of arm, army to say to say just to to, to admit that uh, their army is not so strong so this is uh, a story of uh, um, of illusion in fact so and we are ukrainians are the first to discover that this uh, this fear of russia this is something over uh, how to say over oh, it's much bigger than the real threat it represents you see over, so overestimated over, yes, over, overestimated more. and maybe it is a, a good message for our uh, western partners and all our friends different countries in the West, in Europe and uh, elsewhere, that uh, you should not be afraid, so much afraid of Russian army because they are creating this illusion of the biggest, greatest army, one of the biggest, one of the greatest army in the world. But in fact, when in, when in action, they are not so, um, not so good at all. So uh, you should take that in, into consideration, I guess. I think that you are right, and what we what we see in today's reports, for example, there was a tweet by Andrei Soldatov, who is an expert on Russian FSB. It was also re retweeted by Christo Grozyov from Bellingcat, who is saying that Putin is very angry at FSB, and uh, he basically put um, two people, Sergei Beseda uh, and his deputy Boluch. Uh, from FSB, who were responsible basically in, in in informing Putin about the situation in Ukraine, the pre-war situation, they were put under house arrest. It seems that uh, Putin is really upset with the fact that he was disinformed about Ukraine. Because yeah. my my guess is that he was informed that Ukraine will just surrender, that all the people here are just against these what Putin is calling neo-Nazis, and uh, everything will be fine. So the the Russian army will be met with flowers and with with excitement. <clears throat> so indeed. Uh, there are indications that Putin is upset. Moreover, it's interesting that Russia is losing its generals on the on the on the front line, on the battleground. There are several reports already that uh, some of the Russian key generals have been killed, and we don't know who killed them. Either it was Ukrainian army. Then the question is. Why wow. they went so close? Why they went to the front line? Or the, it was uh, Russians themselves who are considering these generals as doing a bad job and probably they they received, you know, uh, orders just to liquidate them. So mm -hmm. it's also a, an important an important thing to to notice. So one this, other this thing, yes. Yeah, this is a yes, story. Yes, the story of misinformation. When I was talking about this isolation, informational isolation. So this is what society based on, on on lies look like. You know, when when everybody is afraid to tell the truth, when uh, generals are afraid to tell the truth to Putin, and when simple officers are afraid to tell the truth to their generals, and when simple warriors on the ground are, are afraid to tell their officers what's going on. So this is how the army based on lies look like. And uh, we have to, to use this uh, as uh, in, in any way um, uh, we could now, because this is not this real great, uh, great army. And they can be beat it in, in many, in many fields and what Ukrainian army demonstrates now. But 
at the same time, uh, the danger is that uh, Putin is in despair. Uh, we have information about that he is not is very, very much upset about what's going on. And as he usually does in such situations, he can escalate and put the conflict on, the, on a different level. So once again, once again, we're talking about nuclear threat and about chemical things and about, about any kind of atrocities he can also use just to make Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians uh, f- just put, up, put, up, put us in, in a terror. So that's the real risk. But at the same time, this is high time to act and to act without any fear because they are not as strong as they pretended to be. And everything could be done in, 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 in several days, in several weeks, in fact. Exactly. And <coughs> when Russians are talking about biological weapons in Ukraine or chemical weapons, it looks so ridiculous because if Ukraine had chemical weapons, obviously everybody would knew about it and the uh, the special international agencies would come to Ukraine and, and check it because you, you cannot really hide it. And on biological weapons, it is also so ridiculous because we've heard one of the Russian officials telling that, well, this is an old basically an old story of Russian propaganda that you Americans are testing biological weapons on Ukrainian territories. They cre- they have created biological uh, laboratories to test their weapons. Uh, this was something that was spread by pro-Russian parties before the war for, for, for many years, for example, by Mr. Viktor Medvedchuk, who is this, the, the, the key Putin's ally in Ukraine. And uh, uh, this Russian official recently said that these biological laboratories were um, developing pathogens which would uh, use wild birds, reptiles and bats uh, to bring these pathogens on Russian territory. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is the level of their thinking, right? This is the level of of their conspiracy theories. And uh, they are afraid not only of of Ukrainian soldiers or Ukrainian drones or Ukrainian javelins. They are also afraid already of wild birds and reptiles and bats coming from Ukrainian territory. They probably also, they will try to denazify them and demilitarize reptiles and bats. So this would be an idea. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Russian losses, our usual, uh, usual chapter. As of uh, 11th of March, Ukrainian side reports of over 12,000 personnel of Russian losses. 57 aircrafts, 83 helicopters, uh, 353 tanks, 125 artillery systems, uh, 60 fuel tanks, over 500 vehicles, over 1,000 of armored vehicles. So the, the numbers are astonishing, actually, and we see it with our eyes. We see many, many, uh, many items of uh, Russian burnt equipment everywhere in every every Ukrainian region. Mm-hmm. American and U- European estimates are more modest, more conservatives. Uh, so Americans are rather talking about uh, about 4,000 dead. Europeans were talking recently about 8,000 dead. But actually, if we take the conservative estimation, the usually, you know, if we take, for example, not 12,000 dead, but I don't know, seven, 8,000 dead, Usually the figures are that if you have such a number of dead, the number of wounded is like three times higher. And uh, also 
you you can also count the number of uh, those who deserted the field the number of those who were imprisoned so if if the base figure is like 8 8000 dead uh, and uh, you have the number of wounded you have number of de de deserted people so means that uh, the number of Russian losses can really be several dozens of thousands of people, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, initially, and w initially we had information about 150 or 180,000, so they really are losing a lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of people here. And let me add, uh, Volodya, another thing that according to information we, we have now from the Ukrainian official sources, at least half of these uh, Russian soldiers are young soldiers of 18, 19 years old. They are not professional soldiers. They are not people who signed a contract with contract with the Russian army. They're just uh, young people. So it means that they have no enough resources to have this ground operation on the ground with with the professional army. This is very uh, important also to to know at this very moment because uh, Putin was hiding this fact. He was even uh, they say that he was surprised to get to know that uh, almost half of the, his army is composed of these not professional young boys, in fact, who are not so very much prepared for this war. Let's talk about diplomacy. Let's talk about diplomacy because during the war there is all, always diplomatic efforts. Yesterday there, were, uh, there was a uh, meeting between um, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russian Federation Lavrov and our Minister of Foreign Affairs Dmitry Kuleba. Uh, zero result so far. But uh, early in this morning, we received some information about the, um, the official application of Ukraine to European Union. And uh, we have, on the one hand, we have a positive sign. But uh, on the other side, uh, this is not so much official. So Ukraine is not, is not recognized as an official candidate, yeah? official candidate to be a member uh, uh, the European Union. What can we? How can we? Uh, how should we understand this uh, diplomatic move, which is important? Uh, but at the same time, yesterday uh, we've heard President Macron, um, France, saying that uh, the, anyway, um, European Union cannot accept uh, a country which is in war. So um, it, this story looks a little bit contradictory. What do you think about it? Well, it is. Now, I don't really believe that European Union will be able to accelerate its procedures and, you know, to to get to accept Ukraine very quickly as as an EU member, uh, because European Union is mostly a bureaucratic organization with its structures, with its bureaucracy, with its legislation. That's a long process of attaching this. Uh, so. I'm not sure that was a, of course, it, it was a very, very good symbolic idea to apply for membership from, from Zelensky team, etc. But we should understand, we should not uh, put too much hopes on it, uh, I think. We should not overestimate these moves. I think we, Ukraine should work, you know, to as much as possible to ease the access of Ukrainian citizens to the EU, and this is what the, what is being done. The EU is uh, um, applied uh, a special mechanism for Ukrainian citizens, uh, really helping to integrate millions of Ukrainian citizens very very fastly, very smoothly into European economy. 
And I think this is the most important thing right now because we have over 2 million refugees in just two weeks and uh, the number of refugees is actually will actually be growing. And out of these 2 million refugees, we have 1 million kids. So the, the pattern is that uh, who are the refugees are mostly women and children because men, uh, according to general mobilization, men between 18 and 60 cannot leave the country mm. unless there are uh, some, some conditions. And of of course, these people, women and children, need needs protection, and I think this is what is going on right now uh, in the EU. is 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 even more important than any these formal negotiations about EU membership. And frankly, Ukraine is 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 showing that it is already you know a, a big European country, which is which has so bravery so courage to fight for european values much more courage than maybe so many european citizens eu citizens themselves so basically we all believe we all really have faith that ukraine will be victorious in that battle in this inhumane battle in this in against this inhuman cruelty mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> but if we talk about post-war order most probably ukraine will play a very special role, not uh, like a role of of a country that unifies the new Eastern Europe and which uh, provokes changes in Belarus, in Russia, in the Caucasus, maybe in, in, in Central Asia, bringing more democracy there, more human rights, more freedom. So w- we really can expect some very extra- extraordinary things, very untypical, non-typical things. Mm-hmm. It it well goes beyond just you know Ukraine is you know asking for membership <coughs> membership in the EU as as um, other countries I think so. Mm-hmm. Let's also talk about um, threats. Uh, today we have seen that Mr. Lukashenko, the Belarusian dictator, went to Moscow, and uh, we can assume that there are talks about how Belarus will enter the war officially. Because right now, well, we see Belarusians fighters on the ground. We see that Belarus has given its territory for attack by Russian troops. Let's be clear, Kyiv would not be under this attack if Belarus uh, did not provide its territory for Russian troops, unfortunately. And uh, we have humanitarian disasters in Kyiv, northern suburbs, in Irpin, in Bucha, in, in Hostomel in other suburbs only because Belarus is is a part of war unfortunately let's let's be clear about it but Belarus can can increase its presence can increase its uh, its military action and i think uh, also the this visit also shows that putin is not confident in his own army that he needs supports from belarusians it will be interesting if belarusians will be ready to make war against ukrainians what what is the the state of mind of these belarusian soldiers are are they the same as as russians or are they different what do you think mm-hmm. yeah um yeah, this is uh, really important, but um, maybe let's talk uh, also about the uh, about uh, quite interesting statistics. Uh, what we know at that very moment, we know that uh, military losses of Ukraine, I mean civil losses of Ukraine, are twice as big as military losses of Ukraine. So um, I'd like to 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 highlight that um, this conflict is. Uh, aiming at civil 
objects and and human beings and civil civil civilians much more than at military objectives. So um, the nature, even the nature of this war, the nature of this aggression, this is something like uh, Russia did in Syria. It is uh, aimed against civilians. And I think that Ukraine, after the war, surely, will have all uh, grounds to to call um, to call for responsibility for terroristic attacks. And let's see on the level of rhetorics already, President Zelensky and our Minister of Foreign Affairs, Dmitry Kuleba, we are uh, and other Ukrainian officials are mentioning this terroristic, um, this terroristic. Uh, um, well, nature of this uh, aggression quite quite often. Um, because this is not a classical war. Yeah, there's not a war against, b- between two armies, but again, between maybe uh, Russian army and civilians. They're bombarding civilians. They're trying to to show that they can do destroy anything, um, but not Ukrainian army. That's, that's maybe the problem. That's maybe the tragedy. The tragedy of uh, Ukrainian people, Ukrainian state today, because this is a, a weak point for us, because uh, Ukraine is not like Russia, so we are really counting the lives of our compatriots, and this is some something very important for, for, for us, and President Zelensky, he also had this rhetoric, you know, human-centered rhetoric, and, and, and I we can only imagine that everybody is so upset every day when we know each morning we, we just get to know another losses, some other women or kids killed during the night or something like that. So it's devastating. It's really devastating because Ukraine, once again, if we are talking about European Union, but once again, Ukraine, it's like a European country, like any other country in Europe. And uh, we could not even imagine two weeks ago that we could arrive to the point where every day we have losses in, in civilians. I mean, I mean, kids, babies, women and and men also who are not military this is something uh we can h- hardly believe even now and for us we have an impression that this war it lasts for already many years even if it's only it lasts only for two weeks but uh, it already the damage is so huge i mean in in, in terms of human resources and in terms of material losses as well if I'm not mistaken, yesterday there was a fi- communication about the exact figure, the estimation about fi- right exact figure. It was about 100 uh, billion uh, American dollars of infrastructure losses of Ukraine during two weeks only. So this is huge. This is uh, something uh, unimaginable. So and look at uh, at many cities. At look what Kharkiv looks like today, or Mariupol looks like today. Or even Chernigiv, Chernigiv in the, on the north part of Ukraine is quite close to Kiev already, some 150 kilometers or a little bit more maybe. But Chernigiv is also shelled, and it looks like a real uh, uh, wild destruction everywhere. And uh, we do hope that Russia will pay it all and will pay it back after the war and after its defeat. Yeah. Yes, and children are, of course, uh, victims of this war. We have a figure of 70 children, seven zero, seventy 70 children already killed in these uh, two weeks, uh, over two weeks. Uh, unfortunately, they continue dying uh, under, under shelling. And uh, we have seen also recently, a few days ago, Russians shelling the maternity hospital in Mariupol. So uh, with pregnant women, with newborn children, 
just shelling the maternity hospital in Mariupol. And uh, Mariupol is under siege right now, and uh, they, 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 there also is a humanitarian disaster there. But but this is this is how Russians are making the, the, this war, really uh, with war crimes. Yes, and you are absolutely right. The 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 making this war against civilians, not not against the Ukrainian army, because Ukrainian army stays very strong and uh, is able to to defend the country and is able to resist this aggression but when when they're shelling the civilian buildings maternity hospitals uh, other hospitals roads green corridors when people are trying to evacuate well what does it mean mm-hmm. okay we, we will finish on that there was a podcast explaining ukraine by ukraineworld.org uh, this is a co-production between internet ukraine and ukraine crisis media center Uh, Tetiana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach of Ukraine Crisis Media Center, and myself, Volodymyr Yermolenko, chief editor at ukraineworld.org. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We also launched a YouTube channel. You can follow our explainer videos on just Google YouTube Ukraine World, and uh, also follow us on Twitter, Twitter Ukraine World. You can also follow... Uh, Ukraine Crisis Media Center on Twitter and Tanya is making a French version of, of it so in, in, in informing the French audiences thank you Tanya and let's, you. let's continue and uh, follow us